People say, oh, just be confident. You can't do that. You can't just flick a switch and go, okay, now I'm confident. Every presenter's got a different style in terms of their on-screen and off-screen persona. And it's working through all of that. And I don't think there's a hard and fast rule of this is what you have to do. It's for what works for that individual, I think. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas global ambassador and entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today's guest is a man the HuffPost described as the presenter we all need in 2020 after he spoke to CBB's young audience about race, racism and the importance of kindness. As well as TV presenting, he is also a voiceover artist and a writer. Welcome to the show, Ben Kaji. Hey, that was such a nice intro. Thanks so much. You should write my bios from now on. You know what? So many people that come on the podcast say that. They listen to the intro and they're like, wow, I just, it's like I'm, I'm the ultimate hype girl. Yeah, you, I mean, you've done well. I don't know if I even need to be here now. I can just, you know, <laughs> cluck out, go and get a coffee and say, yeah, thanks very much. That was lovely. Oh, you are welcome. And thanks for giving us your time and joining today. Oh, of course. So for any parents listening, as I mentioned at the start about you being a presenter, they might be recognising your voice and thinking, ah, oh, I've, I've seen that. I've, I've heard that voice a lot in my living room. So mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about your journey so far to becoming a TV presenter? Yeah, of course. Well, do you know what? They're probably going to be a bit surprised because often I'm wearing a ridiculous lobster costume or, you know, rapping about pancakes or something in the CBeebies house. So it's nice to be wearing my normal clothes, just having an an adult chat with you. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, How long have you got? It's a long story. So I'll try and do the the condensed, shortened version, which is um, I've done loads and loads of different things um, after graduating from uni um, in... 2009 it's quite a long time ago now um so i worked as a trials assistant in cancer research um i had loads of part-time jobs like i worked in marks and spencers in the food hall and um one time i had to wear a turkey costume down exeter high street trying to sell turkeys for christmas that was a highlight uh it was good training actually for cbb's (laughs) um uh, I tried to sell some Sky packages for a few days and was terrible and didn't really enjoy that. So that didn't last very long. Um, did some freelance journalism and business development stuff. Uh, I went to Kenya for six weeks to work on voluntary projects. And then I ended up working for the International Cricket Council at Lord's Cricket Ground in a sport development role, which for someone who loves cricket and loves sport, that was kind of pinch yourself. I remember going into the ground on the first day. I can't believe I work here. You know, this is... This is amazing, just looking around, like proper fanboying about the location and just being able to see cricket through the office window. And I worked there for just under three years. But while I was there in, I don't know, the back end of 2014, someone who worked for the England Cricket Board, the other side of Lords, they had an office the other side of Lords, they got in touch and said, CBeebies are looking for new presenters and I reckon you'd be quite good, you should apply. And it was for a pilot show um, called the Let's Go Club 
and you had to write, I think, 100 words about yourself on email. Um, or write 100 words and send it via email even, uh, which I did. And then I got a phone call while I was in the office at Lords, and they said, hi, it's whoever here from, from the BBC. Have you got a chance for a phone interview? And I said, yeah, of course. When were you thinking? And they said, uh, now, if possible. I thought, I'm just in the office. Do you mind giving me two minutes? So I, I popped outside and it was absolutely hammering it down. I stood in the stands, or underneath the stands at Lords, with the rain hammering down on the seats. So it was super loud. And I thought, where are you? So loud. Oh, I'm at Lord's Cricket Ground and this is my job. And Anyway, I got offered as um, a an audition and it was in West London in a, in a hotel and apparently they saw 70 there, 70 in Bristol and 70 in Leeds. And after about a month, I hadn't heard anything. And then I got a really generic email saying, you know, good luck with your future career, but unfortunately you weren't successful. Um, and I just thought, oh, well, you know, my career's going quite well in sport development. Maybe I should give up this kind of pipe dream of presenting. Um, and then I got a phone call a few days later and it was someone who'd been involved in the audition and they said, how did you think it went? I said, well, I was nervous. So I probably spoke way too fast and moved my hands way too much, but I was myself. And despite being nervous, I think I I did all right and I wouldn't really change anything. So you know, obviously I'm disappointed, but, you know, I gave it my best shot. And they said, well, we agree. We thought you were great, but you're not right for this show. But someone else has seen your audition and they would like to be in touch. And to cut a long story short, that was the exec producer of CBeebies. Um, and she got in touch and said, uh, we've seen your audition. We know you weren't successful, but we'd like to offer you a screen test. If you're successful, you'd have to move up north because it's full time. Um, and it's a role in the CBeebies house. Um would you like the screen tests? I went for the screen test in the December, found out in the January January 2015 I'd got the gig and then moved up in the March, started in the April and then mm. it's somehow five and a half years later and it's led to presenting loads of other stuff and yeah, it's wow. it's crazy really. It's one of those where the stars aligned. Sorry, I told yeah. you it was a long story. No, no, it's fascinating to hear and I think actually I was thinking quite a few things when you were describing you know the different jobs and the different things and kind of you know I, I think sometimes there's this idea for young people who are st- at the start of their career to kind of you know have this laser focus pick and stick choose something and then you know you need to really apply to that one thing to kind of showcase that you're not you know flaky or that you can be committed or that you you know you're you're earning your stripes in one specific industry or area however I think I know for you know certainly hasn't been the case for me and and lots of people that come onto the show is that actually they try so many different things and they might say oh you know I used to do this and then I worked there and then actually I I don't know I interned here or I went and was a runner there or you know often people especially in creative industries will say that they've tried lots of different things and along the way they've figured out not only what their strengths and weaknesses are or what they what their perceived successes were but also what they don't like doing and what they do like doing so I think for yeah for young people who maybe at the start of their career journey it can be quite overwhelming to think right what are you going to do with your whole life but I think hearing a story like yours is quite encouraging to think actually just try you know you said if you're working in Marks and Spencers right now or if you're volunteering somewhere or if you travel you know just all these things are going to uh, benefit you in some way there's things you can learn and take onto the next part of your journey yeah 100% um, nothing is wasted and I was speaking to uh, my mate Ryan yesterday, who used to uh, present with me on CBBS, and now is in Coronation Street. And 
we went for a walk. We kept two meters apart before anyone says, oh, you shouldn't. Um, but we, were, we went to Tatton Park and had a really nice walk in the sunshine. And we were talking about that and just the fact that so many people say, oh, you're an overnight success. And I've heard so many people say, yeah, I'm an overnight success, but it's taken 25 years, um, which I, I think is really interesting because there is that perception at times that you're just really lucky and it's just happened. But there's so much graft and work behind the scenes that goes into it in terms of seeking out opportunities and dealing with knockbacks and rejection and disappointments and being able to brush yourself off and go again. And, you know, I remember this is another long story, but I think it's a good one to talk about because it relates so clearly to what you were just talking about. When I was 17, um, I was picked, I was doing a youth sport, uh, no, a junior sports leader award at my school and they picked four people to go to a um, step into sport youth sport trust camp at Loughborough University and it was ace because it was like university before university there was no drinking because we were all under 18 but we stayed in halls and it was four days of meeting new people and um, you know going to kind of lectures some stuff about theory but practical things and there were quizzes and nights out in like the uni kind of nightclub and it was ace. It was so much fun. But it was brilliant because it brought people together from all over the country who were interested in coaching and inspiring young people. And on the last day, there were loads of awards and stuff, and they picked four people to go to America. And somehow I got picked to go. Um, so I won this all-expenses-paid trip to go to the States uh, with three others. And it was this was in April 2004, and we went in the October and it was sponsored by Nike and we got kitted out in loads of amazing gear and we flew out and we had a chaperone and then we had host families. And they're my American family now. It's like 16 years later and we, we text a lot. And a couple of years ago, I went to Max, the son of the family, his wedding. So Liz and Richard are the mum and dad. They're like my American mum and dad. Mm. And Max is a son and his wife, Marissa, is lovely. And, you know, I've got friends and another family if you like based on that experience but moving on from that when I worked for the International Cricket Council my boss a guy called Nick Pink who's the best boss I've ever had he was there working I think for either Sport England or the Youth Sport Trust when I was there when I was 17 so he when I got the job with the ICC remembered me from being 17 years old and then my cricket work has kind of, you know, if I hadn't been there, I wouldn't have found out about the job with CBeebies because it was someone at the ECB who told me about it. And then it's led to presenting CBeebies, but also presenting stuff to do with cricket and being at the Cricket World Cup, uh, presenting on the field and being an ambassador for the ECB's All-Stars Cricket Programme. And it's all connected. Mm. And I remember being on the train to Loughborough and being super, super nervous. And it was back in the day when you got like five free text messages. Do you remember that? You'd get five free texts a day because you were on like a page. You go and I text my mum and was like, oh, "Mum, I feel so nervous. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can do this." And she rang. I remember she rang me. I was near the toilets because I was feeling like super sick. And um, she was like, "Listen, if you want to get off the train, you can get off at Taunton. We might have been past Taunton anyway. We, I was going from Devon to Loughborough, so somewhere along the way, she said you can get off and I will come and pick you up. But I really think you should." you should stay on because I think you're going to have a really good time and I think you're going to enjoy it. So you just got to get through those nerves and dig in. But if you're really struggling, get off, I will come and collect you. 
And it's one of those sliding doors kind of moments because, sure, I could still be sat here at nearly 34 years old doing the job that I'm doing and loads of these things would have happened. But I'm not sure they would have done. Um, Mm. And it would have been way easier just to go, no, I don't want to do this. I'm really scared, actually, and a bit terrified. And I think I'm going to not do it. But um, sometimes, you know, some of those best opportunities come through things that absolutely terrify you. Yeah, absolutely. And also, as you said, through unexpected opportunity, you couldn't have pieced that together and predicted that, you know, as you said, one thing would lead to another to another. And I think, again, it's a common thing with people's careers. It's never linear. There's never I don't think there's ever been, you know, a step by step, follow this, you know, maybe in some maybe corporate settings, there is that kind of, you know, climb the ladder. But I think, yeah, for people who are open, you know, open to opportunities, open to kind of saying, yeah, you know what, I've never done that before, because you've never done TV presenting before, right? But going, you know what, I'll go for it I'll, I'll give it a shot but what do you where do you think you got the confidence so for example you know you said that you they gave you the, the call and said oh you weren't successful but we'd like to see you in this in this other role and mm. then yeah you know you, you went on to what was that first because if you didn't have any experience of because presenting is not as easy as it looks I know from experience and I also <laughs> know I have lots of friends who are presenters and you know there's so many moving parts whether it's script changes auto cue you know new things coming in and out production so yeah how did you I guess a have the confidence when you went into that new environment and that setting and b I guess you know did you expect all of that or did you think oh you know it's just what did you what was your expectation before you actually started that's a really good question um no I don't think I was confident at all um confidence is always in flux I think anyway you know there are some days now where whatever you're doing and you can feel really confident and you feel like uh you know I've got this and I look all right and I'm okay and there are other days where you really just have to phone it in because you're not feeling that stuff but you have to exude that confidence because you need to be dressed like a lobster you know so you have to look like everything's cool but it's like with anything else you can't within CBeebies you know my first year there I did 209 studio days there's no way that for 209 days of the year you're going to be feeling the best that you've ever felt ever and there are times look it's not like going down the mines or something really difficult like that but it comes with its own challenges because I wasn't very good when I started, you know, I got the job on CBeebies because sometimes it comes down to timing and luck. Um, Mm. You know, at that time, they were looking for someone who was going to be like a big brother to the kids and build a rapport with the audience. And this isn't me bigging myself up at all, but they said we want someone because of their personality and potential. And, you know, fortunately for me, it it was me that they, they picked. But if they'd been looking for someone who could sing and dance and had presented before and like could do show tunes and there is no way it would have been me. Um, so I had to, I was super, super nervous on the day that I, I traveled up and I touched on it a little bit, but when I get really, really nervous, I, you know, I don't, I don't talk about it that often, but like I'm ill, like I'm sick. Um, and I remember traveling from London to Manchester and, needing to make use of the facilities a few times and then the same when I got to Media City and thinking I I don't know if I can do this like why am I putting myself through this like my body obviously hates it I was shaking it was ridiculous and then I was like no come on go and do it and I popped quite a few chewing gum chewing <laughs> gums I guess and uh, I was like right here we go uh, and I went into the Doc 10 studios and I did it 
and I got through and then afterwards that's when it really hits you because it has wiped you out because it's yeah, all yeah. that adrenaline and everything and I had to travel back to London and get home and I was like I think I need to eat but I don't know if I can eat and I'm, I was shaking and you get a bit of a headache and all of that stuff because I was scared <laughs> it was like a big I knew it was a big opportunity um and I didn't want to make a fool of myself and it just it was like this is this is a chance and I want to you know, I was doing something new. So all of that anxiety and stuff. And then in terms of once I'd got the job, still really nervous. Mm. Um, I just had to get better quickly. So I've worked hard, really hard in terms of prep. But then at weekends, I'd go in um, like a proper little loser and go into the BBC offices and watch all the content uh, and not just my stuff, other presenters and be like, I need to get better. And it was one of them where I'd at first, I'd watch all my links and go, I hate them, but that one's okay. And then gradually it was like, oh, they're okay, but I hate that one. So it was a, a shift of going, oh, I'm okay, I'm getting better. But you'd learn different things and stupid stuff in terms of, you know, you might blink way too much or you might, why am I moving my hands like that? Or sometimes if I'd notice I'd speak out the side of my mouth and I was like, I didn't, I never do that normally. What's What's that about? And it was just, you know, thinking right I need to get better at this and the only way to do that is to practice and then work on my style and people say oh just be confident you can't do that you can't just flick a switch and go okay now I'm confident it's just mm. something that is there or isn't and it, it's just uh, uh, going through those experiences I think and and learning and kind of getting more comfortable about who you are on screen and that voice and that difference between everyone's every presenter's got a different style in terms of their on-screen and off-screen persona and it's working through all of that and I don't think there's a hard and fast rule of this is what you have to do it's for what works for that individual I think yeah well it's really interesting you know, I didn't want to interrupt but it's really interesting when you were saying then around uh, watching what you you know watching it back going in at weekends doing the extra work and actually I think those iterations you know I talk about this a lot about you know one percent improvements and around optimization and you know sometimes people I think because I'm so passionate about this stuff about you know high performance and improvement I think people are like yeah no Adrienne you know one percent but actually in reality what you just described of going and watching yourself as you said no one likes to watch or listen to their own work I don't enjoy listening to my own <laughs> podcast back and being yeah. self-critical and picking apart verbal that I've used or times when I might have said the wrong thing but actually what it forces me to do is to iterate and to improve and I know that for, my, for myself anyway if there's something that I lack confidence in I just know I need to give it more time I need to put in more more practice more iteration and actually if you can improve things one percent one percent you know I think it was it was made quite famous by the British cycling coach who his name escapes me now. Uh, is it Dave Brailsford? Yes, thank you, yeah, Dave yeah. Brailsford. And mm -hmm. he, you know, made that famous of the 1% improvement. And we, and we saw, you know, G Team GB, the Olympic medals, you know, eight, eight, eight gold medals at the Olympics. And it kind of goes to show that those 1% improvements that you might think don't really make much difference, like, I don't know, getting somewhere 20 minutes early to prepare or, you know, going over your script five times instead of 
glancing at it twice these small iterations those one percent improvements i think you know it's clearly paid testament because five years later and you're still there in that role and maybe if you hadn't done those things maybe you would have only lasted you know maybe you'd have had six months a year and maybe you wouldn't have improved and you wouldn't still be presenting so yeah, yeah. I think it's a really key takeaway for people to 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 hear that and to go you know what if you're not great at something yet if you don't find it easy if you think oh you know you've got a lot of work to do and it doesn't have to happen overnight but those one percent improvements really do pay off and also over a period of time you know that's 10 percent. do you know what i mean yeah. because there's you can't really compare my presenting ability and i'm not saying i'm great now but in terms of from when i started to now you look back and it's um it's it's completely different mm. um and it takes time but like you said i had initially a 12 month contract and i remember thinking look this industry everyone tells you know i hadn't worked in this industry before but everyone tells you it's pretty cutthroat and there's not much sentiment and it could last for 35 years or it could last for five years and at the time i had a 12 month contract so i was like well i need to give it my best in this 12 months and do everything i can to be as good as i can be because if i don't improve after that 12 months it could be like thanks very much cheers off you pop so i thought i need to give it everything to give myself the best opportunity to have the chance to carry on if it was something that i still wanted to do um, yeah absolutely so that's why it was important to put in put in that work yeah absolutely and so actually one video that i do want to talk about is the video that you shared earlier this year that actually went viral and has received a lot of praise from media from press and from parents and in that video you talk about your own heritage and about race and about being mixed race and having a white mother and a black father Mm -hmm. so i know that video went out on on cbb's but did you expect the video to get such a brilliant reaction and to be shared far and wide on the internet honestly no um we we do so many links you know in the cbb's house um i think it's something like 150 hours worth of content uh like the links in between the shows throughout Mm. the year and that might be birthday cards or us dressing up in stupid costumes songs dances raps it can be makes um serious things about religious festivals we've just done loads of stuff about diwali um it can be learning links literacy numeracy geography history all of that stuff and then it can be stupid sketches where we're playing characters as well so it's really really varied which again links back to the stuff you were talking about earlier in terms of it's good to diversify but work on your craft because you need to be able to do all of that stuff and have that versatility but with this link you know it was one minute out of that 150 hours worth of content and we thought it could resonate otherwise we wouldn't have done the link i don't think um but the reaction that it had and the way it just took off was kind of phenomenal and pretty overwhelming yeah and i think well when it comes to your own experience you know what you talked about in the video as i said and also this conversation around people can be unkind you know i think using the language that's really simple in a way you know for children to understand but i actually think sometimes it really speaks to adults too who are trying to have that conversation you know my son's mixed race i'm mixed race my son's mixed race too Mm -hmm. and i think you know for parents to have that conversation and to know you know i think it really yeah just resonated with 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 them so do you think that you know this year there's been 
a much needed focus on the conversation of race and a lack of diversity and a lack of representation and inclusion. But do you, and I think, you know, the response that that video had, I really do think demonstrates how important it is, especially for young children to see themselves on TV. So do you think that this positive change that we've seen this year will continue? Or do you think it's kind of a moment that unfortunately will get some attention for now, but then people kind of you know, move on and Black uh, yeah. Lives Matter month is gone. And, you know, it's kind of like, oh, we just carry on as we were before. I hope so. Um, I feel like it's been, this year has been so nuts, right? And so many different levels in terms of coronavirus and lockdown and people reevaluating where they are and what's important and their values and even simple things like, do I really want to commute an hour and a half each way to go to work? And would it be best to, to move into the countryside or whatever, you know, people are really thinking about what's important to them. And that period in the summer was so hard Mm. (laughs) Um, off the back of lockdown. And then thinking about race and racism in, in that way. And For me, I don't really feel like I realised how much of that stuff I carried round with me and had kind of buried um, and how much it still hurt, I guess, because it's like a lifetime of experiencing pain. (laughs) I don't want to over-egg it too much, um, but, you know, I, I saw it firsthand for what it was like for me and my sister and at school and being called like every name that you can imagine and being told to go back to your own country and that you didn't belong and you know stuff that I can't say on this recording um being scared you know I got chased through the streets I got pinned against a wall in a nightclub um I got after a night out chased in in Exmouth um with people singing racist songs at me and my friends. Uh, That's hard, but it Mm. wasn't as hard for me as it was for my dad or my mum and dad, uh, being a mixed couple in the 70s and 80s and my mum getting spat at as she walked down the street because she was with a black man. And for my grandparents moving here in the 1950s from South Africa and the stuff that they kind of had to deal with. So when everything was happening in the summer and thinking about things I'd experienced, but then being asked to talk about that stuff, you know, in, in meetings and really tapping into some of that stuff that you don't realize that you're still carrying around with you. You know, Mm. that was, it was a lot and it was, it was overwhelming and I, I needed to do stuff that was kind of creative as well. So I, to get it out, I wrote, I wrote some poems and I kind of, I cried a few times and spoke to people about it. But yeah, I feel like there's a change this time because people felt like more people were listening and the people were open to talking about it. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? 
United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Because for me, everyone comes at this, it's so subjective. I feel like we need to be able to talk about stuff to increase education. Um, even in terms of like use of language or what's appropriate and what isn't appropriate. But there are so many people calling me up and wanting to talk about issues and having, you know, my white mates being like, I want to be able to do something this time. I don't want to be passive. I want to, and that, that's really powerful. I remember seeing Ben Mee, the Burnley football captain, when that banner flew over, Turf Moor, which said like, all lives matter, whatever it said. And he got interviewed after the game and they were asking him about football and he, he said, no, before we touch on that, I want to talk about that banner. And he was like, that's an embarrassment. That isn't what this club's about. That's not what I'm about as captain of this football club. And that's so ignorant and this is why. That for me was so powerful because I've heard Ian Wright talk about it so many times. I've heard Raheem Sterling talk about it. I've heard John Barnes talk about these issues. But to have someone who maybe hasn't experienced that stuff firsthand and directly and go... I'm going to stand up here and to know that you're going to get hammered by certain people who the kind of people who want to fly that banner over yeah. who call you a snowflake or call you and go, oh, you know, the amount of people who got in touch with me after that link, beautiful stuff. But the amount of racist, horrible stuff I got wow. from both sides was horrific. And then people going, you've never experienced racism. You've made it up. Um, you're just looking for sympathy. I don't want to talk about that stuff. You know, when I was growing up, the only time I really noticed was when, you know, it'd catch me by surprise. You know, someone would go F off back to your own country or call you P word, the N word, whatever it is growing up in Devon. You know, I'd get called that loads. And then I'd go, oh, right. You know, I play football and they go mark the, you know. Yep. Yep. And you're like, well, okay, okay. Well, that's that's the only reason I've just noticed because you don't see yourself as being different or having otherness um Mm. and that's where it's important that people stand up you know I remember being in primary school and my mate Roger who I haven't seen for years and years and years he stood up for me and they called him a pea lover Mm -hmm. and hammered him and he was like he didn't care well he did but he was like no I'm standing up for my friend like leave him alone so like even even talking about that stuff that's what I mean that's 25 years ago yeah and you still remember you yeah, still I still remember but it's still yeah, like I'm not crying but it like I can feel it you know mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you need it's it's painful and hurtful and um yeah and yeah. I think it's so nuanced and I mean thank you for you know for for sharing that with us and because I think the thing is it's so nuanced I think there's so much complexity and as you said you know it goes on for your entire life just because this year the focus has been oh come on you know let's let's have this conversation and actually people just suddenly put the spotlight I had this conversation with a friend of mine suddenly just shine the spotlight on you and go give us your experience relive your trauma perform it all and educate us and tell us how we can help and learn but the reality (coughs) is that you know it's almost like a death of a thousand cuts you know when you're describing like those 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 experiences over time over throughout your entire life and then someone now because the world is ready to have this conversation and to go actually this is really important then being told okay now we want you to 
as I say, you know, relive it, share it, tell us everything. And for a lot of people, I think this year, especially like given, I don't know, people had to process it in their own way. Some people had to grieve things. Some people had to understand things that, as you say, they just suppressed for so long because it became normal. It became normal to kind of say, you know, that's just the world that I live in. That's the experience that I have. You don't often question it. People don't always want to hear it, especially, I don't know if you've experienced this, Ben, but, you know, being mixed race, I think sometimes for me anyway, in my kind of search for identity around the fact that, well, you can't, you're never, you're never going to be perceived as white and you're not white. Oh, I'm not white. But then people saying, well, you know, using your voice as a black woman and saying, well, you're not black. You know, you've got, you've got light skin and you benefit from being light skinned. And actually there is colorism and there's so much nuance that actually I think often people underestimate actually how long it can take to do that work yourself before you're then ready to share it with the whole world. So I can imagine that actually with a video like that, as, as I said, going going out there and having, you know, we, I saw so much positive media around it and, you know, parents saying, thank you, you know, my, my girls or my boys, like seeing you on the screen and see, hearing you describe you know, what they might have experienced as well at school. And, and, and again, I come back to the word kindness, because I think sometimes it just seems like a word that's been diluted, you know, all kindness. But in reality, for children, you know, where are they learning to, to where are they learning their bias around race? Who's, you know, when we grow up, you know, the world, media, parents, whatever influences us to, to form these biases in the first place. So I just think, yeah, from from my perspective, I can only say, you know, thank you. And as a mother of a mixed race child, I think the more of these things that I can share with my son, whether it's through television, whether it's through books, whether it's through podcasts, I think hopefully will will only benefit, you know, his, him and his peers and his generation as they grow up. Thank you. I mean, that's really amazing to hear. So thanks so much for saying that. But yeah, I mean, there was we did a link in, in June. Um, it was my first day back in studio after lockdown. And it was about the ethos of CBBS and that everyone's welcome, and it doesn't matter what you look like, where you come from, what you sound like, um, and that went viral as well. It, that was massive at the time, and mm. I think those links resonated with people because of the time that we're in. Like we, the link uh, that we we've mainly been talking about, the one about uh, my mum and dad and my mixed heritage, that was part of like the Black History Month stuff that we were doing on CBBS. But we've done Black History Month every every year I've been there. So this would be my sixth time of, you know, us having specific content in that month. And I think because of the conversations and the things that have happened this year and people being more aware of it, that's why it's picked up traction. Yeah, um, It's yeah, not absolutely. like, oh, we've just done it this year. But the challenges or what should be happening in my opinion is this stuff is just normalized right it's not shouldn't be just reduced to that one month you know jojo this is an example i've used quite a few times jojo and grand grand is a good show on cbb's because it's a good show not because it has black characters Mm. and you know there are people at times and they go oh that shows for like black families or that shows for that's nonsense as far as i'm concerned it's a good show or it's not a good show and Jojo and Grand Grand is doing brilliantly. It's really, really successful on CBBS, but it's successful because the storytelling is good and the characterization mm-hmm. is good, um, and people can look at it and value that show, um, irrespective of race and ethnicity and religion. And that's mm-hmm. how it's powerful. And I think those links that I was lucky enough to 
write and present in June and then again more recently, I think that links back to that stuff we spoke about at the very beginning, which is why I got brought in in terms of being like a big brother and having an authentic, genuine voice. Because for me, my on-screen, off-screen persona, they're quite similar, which is why it hurts when people hammer you because you're like, I'm not playing a character, it's just me. Now, it's a Mm -hmm. version of you. You know, I'm playing hide and seek with teddy bears in the CBeebies house, which is not what I'm doing when I'm hanging out at home. But it's, I think people, lots of people have said because it's coming from what feels like it's real and you're not faking it and it's authentic and genuine, it carries that weight, which is hopefully because of that relationship that I've been able to build up with the audience over the last five and a half years because I care about the audience. I care about the kids and the families and there's nothing better for me than you know bumping into a family whether it's I live just down the road from a primary school so I mean if I go out at three o'clock it is a bit like all right <laughs> but if if someone sees you in the supermarket or I got stopped the other week at the service station or when you do events and things and people want to talk to you and, and say you read my daughter's birthday card out or look at this and they show you a picture of you meeting a kid five years ago that stuff means something because there's mm. such a disconnect between what we do in studio and then what goes out on the channel weeks later. So to have that interaction and see it in a tangible way or know that it's meant something. You know, I had my fifth birthday card read out by Philippa Forrester. And I remember that. And if someone said, who's your favorite TV presenter? Uh, children's, I'd be like, Philippa Forrester is, do you know what I mean? From being a kid. So to know that you can do that and hopefully do it justice, you know. That's why I'd always want to do it to the best of my ability. Because that one kid called... Ava, who's three, and she's got Iggle Piggle on her card. That's the time. You're not going to do that again. So you need to do that well for those 20 seconds because it's going to hopefully mean something to her and her family for the next however many years. And if if you don't care and you're like, meh, you've ruined that opportunity. And for me, that's really important. Yeah. And as you say, meaningful, I think that's the thing, you know, a couple of things that you mentioned then, but one being, you know, doing meaningful work and not, you know, on whatever whatever scale your work is, you know, and however many people you impact, big or small, but also when you said about, you know, it being real and being authentic and honestly the word authenticity has been used so much and diluted so much because it's kind of now you know authenticity this, authenticity that, but I think that often, I think that's why people who you know, connect with people via social media, for example, whether it's through Instagram, whether it's through YouTubers, whether it's through podcasting, whatever. I think actually that that connection and feeling like actually it's the real person and that they can, and don't get me wrong, of course, there's an element of performativeness for anything that's curated or, or, or shared online. Yeah. It can be. Yeah, but yeah. I think that also social media it can be, you know, I know it gets demonized. It can be demonized quite a lot, especially when it comes to young people and mental health. But I also think the flip side of that is that you can, see more representation you can see more diversity you can go onto youtube or instagram or you know whatever platform and find these creators and find these young people that that are creating things that look like you or that kind of are from a similar place and actually for my son who's nine and a half now he's just about starting to like get into that idea of like youtube and those kind of things but I think it's quite ironic, really, that, as I said, there is a lot of, you know, real statistics, real data that's that's suggesting that 
these things are bad for young people's mental health. However, what I'm hearing, the more, you know, if you ask a 12 or 13 year old what they want to do when they grow up, so many of them will say they want to be a YouTube creator or they want to be an influencer. So yeah, what do you think about, I guess, social media with, with, I know it's probably your audience on, on CBeebies, I'm sure is younger, but did you watch the the Netflix social social dilemma documentary. Do you know, I haven't seen it, but lots of people have told me that I need to watch it. Um, well, if have you haven't you seen, seen it, it I, yeah, I've seen it, and I would say that you know what, for someone who you know, I use social media, and I've I've worked with you know built my brand through through social media and i think that obviously i'm an adult i'm 33 years old it's not the same as you know potentially consuming that content as a 15 year old but obviously the documentary is set out to achieve something you know it has an objective i'm not to say that it's biased that it's it's really 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 thought-provoking i think yeah. the way that it's really interesting and i think for parents it's really important watch but yeah i just wondered if you'd if you'd watched it and what your kind of thoughts were even aside from the documentary but just about yeah, I guess how social media has impacted how we all consume media. Yeah, I mean, that's such an an interesting and important question um, and probably something we could talk about for the next two hours. Like, <laughs> yeah. I've got so many thoughts on that. I think it's pretty subjective, you know. It's not for, for me to say to other people, oh, this is how you should parent. I'm not a parent myself, you know, hopefully one day, maybe. Um, but there's so much content out there and like you say we it's around us all the time um and i think it's important to know what's going on on both sides you know you only have to look at um things that are really polarized so whether it's you know trump versus biden or brexit or whatever and if you just follow people who have similar views to yourself then that's going to massively sway how you're thinking because you're going to go oh, well, it's clearly going to go this way because all the content that I'm looking at is in support of the same things that I believe in. But you only have to look at things that have happened in the last few years to see at times how much of a divide there is in our societies. Mm. And I don't want to consume loads of content that I really don't agree with, but it's probably quite important to look at stuff to get a more balanced view. Um, I think it's it's kind of... It terrifies me a little bit how much stuff is out there and there's some really dark stuff on the internet. So, you know, that side of things, if I had, how did you say if someone's nine and a half? Nine and a half, yeah. The half is very important, it, it tells is, yeah. me, because no, most yeah, of his friends is. have uh, turned recently turned 10 and he's not 10 until June. So the nine and a half is, is very important that I mention that. Well, yeah, and then he gets to 39 and a half and the half will be important because he won't be 40 yet. So, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. one of them. It still works when you get older. I'd be like, amazing, because look at this content and the incredible, th- whatever you're interested in, you can find content about it and videos and tutorials and that stuff's ace. But then there's the other side, which is kind of terrifying. Yeah, it's a difficult one for sure. And I think it's, you know, as you say, for, for, for non-parents and for parents, it's just a fine line, which I think even for us to think about our own use of these things. And that's one thing that the documentary kind of highlights for a lot of people is that actually it's more talking about not necessarily just our use and our consumption and our addiction to devices, but it also talks about the fact that our attention is what actually is being sold. So when you use something that you think is free, I don't know, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, it's actually highlighting that your attention and your behavior online, so what you click and how long you watch for and what you scroll to and what you search for, that is actually what 
brands and organizations and that's actually what they are paying for is your data and your attention so it was kind of that that i think freaked people out because they were like wow okay if there's no service or product being sold here then you are the product you are the service your attention and your data so yeah i think it was it's very very interesting and as you said we could definitely talk about it for longer but i'm conscious that yeah i want to kind of get through so many things and also i want you to go away and watch it and then we're going to discuss okay, it okay right because i'm all, otherwise i'm going to ruin it for you and you won't need to you won't need to after after that can, from me. that can be podcast round two yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. So, you know, reflecting on this year, I know that for many people, they've had to adapt, they've had to change everything from the way we work, travel, learn, live, basically. So it hasn't all been bad, although I know a lot of people are kind of just wishing, willing the rest of the year away, but it hasn't all been bad. So for you, Ben, what have mm. been the highlights of 2020 and what have been the challenges? Well, we discussed some of them already, I guess. Yeah, I mean, probably the biggest challenge to be honest, when everything happened, um, it's a disappointment. I was supposed to do loads of work this year. On, I love sport and I was supposed to have a lot of sporting work this year with Wimbledon and the Olympics and other bits and that obviously all disappeared. And, yeah. you know, I love working in children's, but more and more I'm doing more sport work, whether it's bits for Match of the Day or BBC Sport or whatever. So to have that all go, I was like, uh. um, But you have to take it all with a pinch of salt and go, well, it could be a lot worse and you look at so many people who are really struggling either with health or losing people to coronavirus or um, financially or whatever and go, well, you know, I'm I'm relatively healthy and I've been able to work during this period, not as much as perhaps I wanted to, but, you know, you've got to count your blessings a little bit. Um, yeah. I lived by myself, so it was I didn't touch another person for over 12 weeks. That was hard. That was really hard. Um, but... At the same time, that maybe links to your question about what was a positive. I learned that I was way more resilient than I thought I was um, and dealt with that. If you'd have said before, this is going to happen, how do you think you'll get on? I would have said, I'm really going to struggle with that. And I did a little bit, but I dealt with it a lot better than I thought I would. Um, mm. And we've already touched on it a little bit earlier, but people have had time, let's be for everyone, but... I've certainly had time to kind of reevaluate and find out the kind of things I want to work on and the kind of people I want to work with and um, think about my values and what's important to me and mm. the things I want to spend more time doing and less time doing. Because as you just said with social media, you know, if you said, oh, you're going to spend five hours a day looking at your phone, most people would go, I wish I had an extra five hours in the day. Um, I spent five hours and I spent, and you go on whatever it's called, um, screen time. And it says, oh, you spent two hours on Twitter. And you think, how, how did I spend two hours on Twitter? Yeah. I prefer to spend two hours walking around a lake or something. Um, so I think that's been, been really interesting. Um, and you know, working on relationships in terms of having more time to check in with people and call my mates and because I haven't had to do a full day in studio, quickly grab something to eat, get a taxi to a train station, travel to London, go to bed after midnight, get up at six, do a full day in London, get back to home and then work in studio the next day and kind of try and do emails and phone calls and chill time while I'm on a packed train with hundreds of other people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been a good time to be able to reevaluate and I've read more than I've read since I was a kid. Um, And I haven't felt guilty about it 
which has been nice. Yeah, taking that time. And, you know, it's nice when you said then, you know, what are you going to do? Focusing on what you could do more of and what you wanted to do less of. And actually, I'm I'm quite big on practical tools I write everything down I write lists I write plans I have journals I'm very that's I'm very that you know yeah and it actually, sounds good to me of, yeah I love it and actually <laughs> yeah. one thing I was thinking when you were talking that I do I often do it I think I do it around my birthday and around the start of the year but it's just a, an exercise I think to be nice to share for people to do is to think about you know we are coming towards the end of 2020 and to think about the year ahead and think yeah just simply as that Time is the most valuable thing. I say it again and again on this show, hence the power hour. What are some things that in 2021 you want to do more of? And what are some things you want to do less of? So simple, but if you actually commit it to paper and write it down, it just forces your attention to go, where am I spending my time? And do I really value it? And actually, that brings me on perfectly, Ben, to talking to you about the power hour, which for me, basically, it's all about the first hour of every single day. It's not about being productive all day, every day, but it's just by saying, you know what, nail, like kind of create the ultimate morning routine. And I really do think that it sets the tone for the rest of your day. So I'd love to know what your first hour of your day is like. Do you know what? This is a really, really hard question for me because... I don't really have a set routine and it varies so much depending on what I'm doing. So as an example, like last night, for whatever reason, I was absolutely shattered. So I went to bed really early. I went to bed, turn my light off at quarter to 10 maybe, which for me is super early. And I slept for 11 hours, um, which is a long time. But there are certain times when I'm working and I might only get six or seven hours sleep or whatever, or I'm staying in a hotel or I've got to get up up at half five because I'm in the studio at seven o'clock. So every day is different for me in the mornings, but that probably is interesting in itself because I would say that I need to listen to my body and my mind and what it needs. Mm. Um, Last night, I obviously really needed some sleep. Uh, whereas there are other times when it's like, right, I'm up and I'm in the shower and I'm out the door within half an hour. So one thing I definitely need to be able to function and do anything is I have to have a shower. That is, I love the shower. Hot, Hot, always hot. Hot, okay. Yeah. Um, I just feel, I can think really clearly in the shower, but it revitalizes me as well. I feel so much better. Like if I had to do anything especially something work related I'd have to have a shower before it yeah just... it's interesting because some people might think well of course but actually I think this year if people are really really honest working from home I know there's been times when people have said like oh you just get up literally make a coffee they're still in their dressing gown opening their laptop going into their first meeting because they haven't had to you know get ready and get in the shower and go on the train and go to work and and maybe for some people you know if you even if you're working at home still having that routine of just almost like imagining that you are going to work getting up getting showered having your breakfast sticking with a routine i think can be can be as you said you you know you you have that fresh start to the day um i can't imagine actually not doing that and 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 functioning well yeah definitely you know i've had days over the last eight nine months where i've gone all day and not had a shower um but i don't feel as good and you know you don't smell as good i definitely don't smell as good (laughs) (laughs) and you know i've had days where i'm like i haven't brushed my teeth and it's like 6 p.m well that's gross but um yeah like this morning i got up i've had loads of phone calls this morning um but i did them all after i'd showered 
done my hair. I always feel better. If I've got something big on, I don't have a lot of hair, but like put a bit of product in my hair and make it look, you know, nice. As if I'm... Yeah. So as if I was going out or someone said, can you do a selfie video for my kid, which I get those requests loads, I'm good to go. Whereas if I hadn't had a shower yet or brushed my teeth or had my three Weetabix this morning... But that's the thing. There's no routine because some days I'll have a Weetabix, some days I'll have yogurt and fruit, and some days I'll have Crunchy Nut Cornflakes or other brands are available. But it is that. Like, I have to have a shower. I have to have breakfast. Um, I need to feel awake and, and good, good to go. And then you're good to go. And yeah, I'm good wicked. to go. Yeah. Wicked. Okay. And so my, honestly, I feel like this, this interview has gone so quickly. I could talk to you for, for ages, Ben. You'll definitely have to come back on the show when you've watched Social Dilemma. Okay, for so, sure. So my closing question, which I ask to every guest on the show is all about time because I'm kind of obsessed with it. I've just written a whole book about it. And I just believe that, yeah, we kind of need to draw more attention to focusing on what we want to be doing, how we want to spend our time and kind of lose this idea that, you know, busyness and just running around from one thing to the next is is you know the best use of our time so often people say to me yes adrian i hear what you're saying but one day i'm going to do that but i don't really have time at the moment or you know if i had more time i would read more or if i had more time i'd work out more so if you were given the gift of one extra hour every day there's going to be 25 hours now Mm -hmm. what would you use your extra hour to do i really like that question it's such a good one um I'm going to say there are, it's like twofold. One thing that I've really learned more recently is to enjoy, this is such a cliche, but I think it's quite important, is to enjoy the journey more rather than focus on like a final destination because there are so many times, especially in this gig, and probably for anyone who's freelance doing whatever, where you're thinking, oh, if I just get to that point, and if I just get booked for that, and then if I can just do this, and... You're constantly thinking ahead and not necessarily enjoying what you're doing at that time as much as maybe you should be. So I've tried really hard this year to kind of just enjoy what I'm doing and let the future stuff take care of itself. Because if I'm doing this as well as I can, then hopefully it's going to lead to more stuff in the future. So that's a bigger picture of something. But for that extra hour, if I could do anything, it would probably to be ground myself more in terms of get out use my body so yesterday like I love playing sport but this year obviously it's been really tough to play a lot of sport particularly team sports but just have some definite time where I can be outside with fresh air like yesterday was incredible just walking around Tatton Park the sun was shining the lake the trees um, fresh air the light being able to see deer and stags and birds flying in the sky amazing and Mm. when I've traveled wherever I've been you know I really like New York New York's wicked Boston is wicked but my favorite places are places where the vastness of it is incredible so Mm. when I've been to Yellowstone National Park in America and when I've been to the Masai Mara in Kenya and New Zealand like Lake Tekapo is one of my favorite places that I've ever been to it's you know you're able to look at the world and just go I am so insignificant <laughs> in a but that's like positive and negative all at the same time right it's like yeah for sure yeah uh, i always call them bon iver but i think it's supposed to be bon iver uh the band who i love and they've got this song and it says uh At once i knew i was not magnificent and that is so like bittersweet that it's like i'm so unimportant it doesn't matter go out for me it's like go out give it my best shot do good 
be kind to people, try and make a difference. Not in a like really worthy way, but just, you know, what's the point in going through life and not doing positive stuff? If you can make a positive impact, make a positive impact. But at the same time, it really doesn't matter. If I'm not here tomorrow, the sun will still rise. Things are still going to continue. And when you're in these beautiful places, anywhere, just outside, having the earth at your feet, being like, the world is incredible. So I would use that hour every day, being in my body and feeling it. So going for a walk or I don't really like running. I love sprints, but I like mm. team sports. But So I'm not going to say running because I don't really enjoy it. But being outside in nature um, and being able to look at how beautiful the world is around us. And I'm real, just that for me is incredible. Like that's when I feel most appreciative and hopeful and at peace with stuff rather than be looking at Twitter and my laptop and my emails yeah. and my massive to-do list. Because it, it, wow. ultimately it doesn't matter, does it? It really yeah. doesn't matter. No, you're absolutely right. And hearing that description as well, I think it was beautiful. It was amazing, actually. And it's it's the sun shining today and the sky's blue. So I think I'm going to take inspiration from your closing question, Ben. And I'm going to take some time outside, get some... Get, I'm very fortunate to, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a lake nearby, there's woods nearby. And I think you're right, that vastness really does sometimes help us to get perspective and help us to realise that, you know what, today's problems as much as they are real they they exist you know right now as you said in the vastness of kind of just our entire lives sometimes when you just zoom out and you think actually these things won't matter they won't matter maybe in maybe in a week maybe in a month maybe in a year maybe 10 years they won't matter so yeah i really that was beautiful that was really really beautiful it took me away i was like wow i, think, I feel like i what i have if you got me to repeat that answer i wouldn't know where to start <laughs> i feel like i rambled horribly but, no it was brilliant thank okay you, cool and thank no you for joining and being on the show today Honestly, oh thanks really, for having really me enjoyed talking to you and i hope the listeners have loved it too if you have always let us know you can rate you can review you can get in touch on instagram on twitter all of that good stuff and yeah have an awesome awesome week thanks for listening to the power hour thanks again ben thank you see ya ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 